Welcome to Big 20, a roundtable discussion where GMs from all walks of life discuss gaming and field questions from viewers. Hosts this week are... Uh, I'm Pete Petrusha. I make games uh, with Imagining Games. I run convention booths for the Indie Game Developer Network, and uh, I write uh, GM advice for Gnome Stew. It's uh, the GM blog. Hi, I'm Gage. I'm the host of Gaming with Gage, which is a podcast about role-playing games and the periphery. Uh, I also do a little bit of writing. So far, only one product, though. And I'm Dan. I'm the moderating host of the Fear the Boot Gaming podcast, and also it's actual play, and I've published a couple things over the years, but I won't bore you with my resume. Feartheboot.com for anything I've done. This week, we're talking about ethics and dark themes. Uh, I'll start off with a question for the group. Why do this? Because I don't tend to uh, go down this rabbit hole very often. So I'm curious to see what other people think about it. I have a one word answer and that's dread. (laughs) Dread is good. Okay. I run a lot of dread. So maybe I, maybe I know more than I think I do. Yeah. I have, um, you, you, you run, are you serious? You run a lot of dread and this, this is like a new idea to you. (laughs) Well, so I feel like I'm shaken. (laughs) It's okay. You can just roll the four. I'll be bored and silent for the rest of the show. (laughs) Um, Well, that's interesting. So when I run Dread, I tend to run it very much like a horror film. Yeah. I guess maybe I'm just desensitized to murder. That I don't really (laughs) create a dark theme. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The reason I said that was I I was looking online. I was Googling for like good Dread adventures. Um, because I, I host like an RPG meetup locally where we run, you know, like one shots, anything that's not D&D or Pathfinder. Because my local stores, <laughs> you can find that. You can find that on Wednesdays. Like, um, so, and they'll introduce people to gaming that's like everything else. But the, um, but I found this one really cool Dread Adventure. I was really digging it. I'm like, I could fit it into a nice, sweet two, three hour one shot. But it deals with bullying. And everyone, every one of the player characters is a faculty member yeah. that has some sort of secret that kind of, eats at them of how they could have prevented like a mass suicide at a school oh wow and then months later like this thing happens where like these kids are going to come out because they're being bullied and the incident had like brought some kind of like demonic influence where it's going to like bring out the horrors of like bullying that like like that the teachers or the faculty members allowed to happen but also some of the things that are dark in their own lives, you know, like one of them had abused a child and one of them had like really no time for, you know, it's dread, right? The the questionnaires and design these characters that had storied histories that kind of, you know, the gym teacher had overlooked some things that maybe a gym teacher shouldn't have, you know, that was like borderline harassment. That's a real touchy subject or, or, or uh, content like material for a one shot, especially at a meetup with people who, you know, they're like, oh, I want to play Dread. I heard all these great things. Yeah. Well, maybe not Dread set is... that game yet for all the reasons I've said, right? It's very mature. Yeah. Even Dread aside, in any game you're running, it's a reality of life that people do bad things. Yes. And to further complicate that issue, this may not be fully in the game master's control because it may not be the NPCs that are doing bad things. The players may be doing bad things to the NPCs or to the environment or to each other. Um, And so these themes are going to pop up. I mean, or at least the questions about these themes are going to pop up at some point. Um, I mean, even in just a really super generic lowbrow hack and slash. I mean, these things are going to happen. I mean, maybe it's so slapstick nobody cares. You know, maybe it has the... uh, 
ethical implication of Mo hitting Larry in the face with a two by four. <laughs> but I mean, the, the topics are there. And the deeper you get into storytelling or role playing, you know, you play a Deadlands game. Well, I know it's the Weird West, but it's still the West. How do you deal with a lot of the topics of, you know, colonialism and racism and things like that? That I'm not saying you have to deal with them in the game, but I'm saying that it, you know, there's certainly space there to tell those stories. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think you do have to walk into that with your eyes open. And that's definitely a session zero conversation. I just feel like a lot of times with my games, we have those session zero conversations and there is an element of wanting to delve into serious role play and want to explore stories, but there's also an element of this is what I do for fun. Yeah. And so that's not fun for everybody. Some people it's very, very fun for, but yeah, like my wife and I will turn on the Great British Bake, bake Off. It's <laughs> sure. not anything denser or anything like that. It's except for the bread. Like we do that for fun. Other people are on their third serial killer documentary. So I, sure, I just, yeah, the interest is there. Um, I just I don't know. I don't. I don't think I do this a lot. But now I'm now I'm backtracking because we've already gone <laughs> like, well, what about dread? I'm like, well, I did kill a bunch of people. I do tend to kill people a lot. Sure. And Dread's particularly interesting just because of how it, the questionnaire process of making your characters pulls, you know, it's a guided walkthrough of in the GM putting, you know, kind of borderline horrible things into your history. And then you just getting to author like why and how, like you get to give it spin, you know, like, so why was it that, um, you know, the questionnaire on like the sheet will be like, how come you were the only person to walk away from a school box accident? You know, and then that naturally takes the player to a place that's going to have some, you know, very traumatic issues that could easily go very dark, right? And they may easily go dark because it might just be the first place that player goes to. Uh, And then that becomes a part of the game. And every player is going to have questions like five to ten of these, right? That's just going to bake in each one of these characters, like a very flawed personality, which is great for horror because like (laughs) a lot of the best horrors, like Dan and I were talking about Sixth Sense last time I was on. And, you know, we're talking about like kind of like masterfully how you plan ahead to have a great plot twist. Well, it's kind of the same idea of having like great horrors. A lot of times with psychological horror, stuff comes up along the way. You go, oh, my God, this, this character has been portrayed to me the whole time. It's like honest and good. And you realize that's because they're, they're so um, defeated and they're, they're, they're trying to redeem themselves for such a horrible past or some horrible incident that they can't shake. You know, then you go, oh, my God, well, th- they were just masterfully hiding how broken this person was. Um, so anyway, with Dread, I just th- that's a particular game. But like you mentioned, I mean, it can happen in any game. Um, just a little ta- tangent and to throw it you know, back to you and Dan is that like my stepdad doesn't play role playing games. And one day he walked, you know, he was at the house and he picked up something. I can't remember which game it was, but it had a little pitch on it and it said something like, you know, it's a horror game uh, that, you know, that there could be monsters and such. And uh, he looked at it and he was like, why would anybody want to play like a horror movie? Cause he just, you know, he's 70 years old. <laughs> he has never thought of like, why would anybody want to be more immersed into a story like that with like murder and death? So it, it's also just to give you the range, like that we can be very, you know, already very immersed as role players, you know, like, the casual person out there is like, that's just nothing I want to do. Yeah. I, I, let me give you uh, another example from a different media. Uh, there's a 
documentary that I own that I think is a fascinating watch. I think it's about an hour long. It's called White Light Black Rain. And it's a documentary about the atomic bombings of Japan in World War II. And they don't just tell the story. It's not a Ken Burns type documentary. Uh, they talk to the people that survived it. They talk to the crews of the bombers that dropped the bombs. They talk to some of the people that helped create the atomic bombs. They talk in very great detail about the studies that were done of the areas uh, immediately following the atomic bombings and then years later. And I mean, just the horrors of what a nuclear bomb actually does. Uh, and then how these, the Japanese people that were exposed to the radiation uh, who either were born later with disfigurements from the radiation or suffered burns and disfigurement from direct exposure about how to this day they are shunned and cast out by Japanese society as a whole. Um, and they get into what it is like for these people to live like that, uh, despite, I mean, fundamentally being victims, you know, in every yeah. sense of the word. Uh, you know, victims of Japan's choices, victims of America's choices, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I find something like that fascinating. Um, and I think part of the reason I do is because of the fact that that is part of the real world that we live in. And I understand that there are people that want, you know, really light, fluffy entertainment. And I'm one of those people too. I mean, it, I'm not one of those people where I have to be profoundly disturbed by everything I consume. You know, I mean, there's stuff that I enjoy just because it's damn fun to watch or it's damn fun to play or, or whatever. But I mean, I think part of the range of these thought experiments, the, the make-believe of role-playing, is that you can ask some of these hard questions if you know, what is it like to live through this or to be the perpetrator of this? Or, you know, what sort of effect does this have? You know, in the actual play that we're running right now, it takes place something like 75 years after a nuclear war. But that's still a part of the social psyche. You know, that was a real thing that happened within the lifetime of at least some people that are still alive. And even the people that, you know, weren't alive when it occurred, they're living every day with its after effects. And 90 some odd percent of the time, that's just background. You know, they're in a city and the city behind them is just skeletal remains of girders and concrete foundations. And it's really not a part of the story, but other times you are left with the questions of, you know, what kind of people did this and what kind of people are capable of surviving in its aftermath. And that raises some pretty rough questions. You know, if the farming infrastructure is gone and you're starving to death, how bad does a person have to be before they're on the menu? Yeah. And I mean, that's not, that's not what the game's about, but it does occur. It comes up. It's because you haven't invited me to the table yet. And then that's exactly <laughs> what the game is about. Okay, so that covers the why. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you, you decide you want to run it for all of these reasons that you guys were just saying. What percentage of your group do you need on board to feel comfortable running that game? 100%. 100%. So like one person doesn't want to go that route. Everyone we're else, not going that route. Yeah. We're not going there. I, I mean, look, these people are... In most cases, my friends, you know, I, I tend to run for my friends. If I'm at a convention, these people are my guests. They have entrusted me with three or four hours of their lives. I don't gain anything by upsetting them. You know, it's, it's, it's 100% or we're not doing it. 
um, straight up. If one person vetoes, that's all I need. Okay. Are you yeah. in the same boat? No, uh, but I, I think it's also because Dan and I, like Dan usually runs for the same like rough group of people. Um, and I, I run for a lot more, you know, um, broad audiences, right? Like just, hey, this five people, this five people, those, you know what I mean? Like all over the place. So with that, uh, I, I don't have the luxury of knowing who my audience <laughs> is, right? And we don't usually have a session zero. Um, so there, uh, you, when we offer what game it is, people always have choice, right? And they always have the choice that they can find out somewhere along the way, like, you know, this wasn't what I wanted and there's no questions asked. Like, like we played that dread game and someone's like, okay, you know, like if an X card won't solve our problems of getting through the process without like um, making people feel uncomfortable, um, you know, a player can always get up and leave no questions asked. Like we're not going to guilt you or make you feel bad for it not being, you know, fun, right? That's, that's the point is I want you to be entertained and enjoy yourself. Um, so, but like Dan said, it's still majority buy-in, right? I mean, like, and there can be no no's. Like, it can't be anybody who's like, no, fuck that. And then you're like, well, <laughs> you playing or are you going home? Like, I wouldn't do that to somebody, right? If a couple people are totally against it, like that, we're just playing something else. Um, okay, yeah, so the majority. I, I, th- I think that's, that's a good starting point. So yeah. to talk about session zeros for a second, even though I, yeah. I know it's a luxury, for, yeah. <laughs> for some people what does that conversation look like for your group i mean i tend to do the let's let's start off with what do you absolutely not want to see what are you willing to see but you don't or what are you willing to exist in the world but you don't want to see because those are two different things yeah uh, you know the the big ones that generally come up are uh violence to children violence to animals rape is a big one that comes up um, a lot of times if you're going into a Deadlands game, you might have a player who says, look, I understand that there's racism in this time period. I don't really want to explore that. So, and then, and then that's when I start asking questions like, is that a, this does not exist in the game we're playing, or is that a, this exists, but we're not going to give it any screen time, like those types of questions. But what are you guys using in your session zero to try and figure out how you're going to run this? I, I, there's two things I try to do, um, and there actually is a formalized questionnaire that I use it's very to try good. and get people thinking, and it's not perfect. And by the way, if anyone watching this keeps seeing me looking off screen, I'm looking at the uh, Twitch chat, and I see a couple uh, really good questions here that I'm going to come back to, so I'm not ignoring you people. Uh, <laughs> you've, got some good, you've got some great questions I want to come back to, but... There's, I, I think there's two things that I try to do. One is I try to ask a formalized set of questions um, of, you know, what are the types of themes you want to deal with? What are the types of themes you don't want to deal with? Uh, just anything to get people thinking. And sometimes the players are going to come to me and they're already going to know something. They're going to say, uh, you know, uh, let's use one of the really common ones. I don't want to deal with sexual violence. Okay. We're not going to deal with sexual violence. But there's other ones where, as the game master, I know what's common in the game world. Um, you know, for example, in a game like a post-nuke game, I could say, okay, uh, the details of what wasting diseases look like, uh, what lawlessness looks like, what cannibalism looks like, these are the things that are likely to come up in this game. I think if we were playing a Star Trek game, people are not going to expect that to come up. <laughs> you know, th- now there might be different themes that we expect to come up. 
And But as the game master, I know something about the setting. I know something about the plot I have in mind. And, you know, I try to be self-conscious about what are the things that I'm going to say that are likely to impact the people that I'm playing with. And it's never 100% perfect. And, and this is where we're going to get to some of the questions being raised in, in the Twitch chat here in a second. But you're, you can't hit 100% of them, and there are some things you have to adjust on the fly. But if you, I mean, I think there's good ways to make educated guesses up front. Yeah, and then, you know, on my side, it's funny because uh, the question is a very good one because uh, even when I've done a session zero, I've never actually done a session zero where I really pre-planned questions that were very specific. Um, so from my experience, I'll talk to that and then I'll just kind of try to chime in a smidge about what I think would be a good way to go about it. But, um, you know, from my experience, usually it, it's like, you know, we propose a game or there's several games on the table and then we, um, the players get an idea of what the game is and we usually talk about what kind of characters we want to have in that game. And along the way, that's when I can find that um, I see this is going to come up. You know, uh, you, you made a bounty hunter character in a world of slavery. Um, there's going to be a lot of accusations that are going to lead to racism. And there's probably going to be a lot of bounties that are actually just deeply rooted in hate of whatever the discrimination is. Um, so it's important to just kind of lay those layers out. So players, as we're kind of doing it together, are all kind of hearing you know what the game is but usually when we start i am going to talk about like if it's star wars or if it's shadowrun you know as shadowrun's a good example of like this is a dark future you know uh you your characters they pride themselves on being sinless disposable uh you live in the shadows i mean you probably live in areas where you, i mean you have cheap nutrition you probably live with cockroaches you know like like you don't live in splendor by any means and people don't care the services aren't here for you so you obviously don't listen to resting glitch face yeah, well, I do listen. Yeah, but exactly, right? Like, that's the exception. Um, but you know what I mean? So it's just kind of the, I kind of do it along the way. And I've been fortunate, I guess, that we usually kind of haven't had a game where the material is so specific that it's been, you know, there's a lot of indie games I play, like, when we bring up Dread. Like, I've always, when I've had a group where we had Session Zero, it was a more dedicated group. And it, usually we've played more traditional games or games that are going to be campaign play. So usually everyone knows them a little bit better than, Nothing, you know, brand new. So I, I love, you know, one of the things Dan mentioned earlier about the Holocaust was that uh, like the Holocaust material, nuclear bomb material was like, it, it really made me think as a GM, how often I'm trying to get a character, a player through their character to kind of feel what the setting and the theme is. Sometimes, you know, like I'm not going to like GM you through walking across the street or going to the park, but I might GM you in this case, like in a case like that, where you walk through the park and your character starts having like some sort of flashbacks or some memories that are deeply rooted of your childhood because you're walking through like the Holocaust Memorial or something. And the point is I am trying to get the players to kind of understand the setting through their character. Just like maybe in Shadowrun, maybe like if you made a character that had no lifestyle, you know, funds or whatever, like I would want you to feel a little bit of squalor and what that feels like in 2050 or 2070. So as a GM, knowing that ahead of time, it's interesting because like you said, like, I wish I thought of that at the beginning of session zero, because I'd almost want to do a little bit of that. Like, okay, I don't know if you really know what it means to be in a place where everyone is like trying to rebuild from the Holocaust and what kind of horrors that's put to your families and your culture. So maybe we could even do little mini scenes. Like, oh, you want to be a baker. Okay, well, you're in your, you know, you're, you're in your place, you're opening for the more, you know, I mean, almost like a, you could do a couple, couple minute scenes to kind of just get the players kind of, um, 
on board. What, and, and, right. What do they call it? Like, you know, just like fueled up, ready, like to get them, like to get an idea of what or they, what they do or do not want in their game. Because like, like Dan said too, ultimately, like if they don't want it, we're just going to fast forward or fail it out or, you know, go to black. That stuff in the setting doesn't often be played at the table. So I guess we can, we can jump into some of those questions, but I do at some point want to come back to, uh, to safety tools. Cause I have a feeling if you're not doing session zero, Pete, you must have like a wonderful set of Oh, for sure. Tools yeah. yeah. Use. But Dan, you were saying there's some good questions in the chat. Yeah. And, and I'm gonna, I cannot advocate strongly enough for session zero, but <laughs> that's another one. We'll, we'll put on ice for a second. So I'm going to back up to, uh, Janessa Squatch. I don't know if you've heard Janessa Squatch. <laughs> but uh, so uh, Jenna asks, we, we find all these things so interesting in both gaming and media. We hear a lot about player tools for expressing personal limitations like lines and veils. And somebody else talked about lines and veils. We'll come back to that. What is the GM's place in shutting down player activities when it goes too far? And I would say it's a fairly strong place, but I would say it doesn't need to be limited to the GM. You know, I, on the one hand, there is a trait of human psychology and sociology that one of the worst things you can do is if somebody drops from a heart attack, you yell, somebody call 911. Because what happens is people tend to fall back from that. They're not sure somebody else is doing it. They themselves don't feel a call to action on it. And one of the things that they teach in those situations is you point at somebody and say, call and just some random person and say, call 911. Because now you have created a, a, once again, within psychology and sociology, this, this impetus that now this person understands that they are directly responsible for either calling 911 or finding someone to do it. And I do recognize that at the gaming table, the game master, people look to the game master that way. You know, if there's a, a catastrophe going down, they tend to look at the game master for some kind of leadership and guidance. And so I think GMs do need to be uniquely prepared to try and find a way to moderate that action backwards and say, okay, you know, I mean, you don't need to be super confrontational. Say, you know, so-and-so, I get what you're trying to do, um, but I'm worried it might be upsetting some people at the table let's just handle that in the background. Let's do a role to abstract that. You know, let's, let's find another way to handle this or here's why that's not going to be real effective in this setting, but another approach will. You find some way to redirect the action. But having said that, you don't have to wait on the GM. You know, you as a fellow player, and once again, I, I don't think you have to get confrontational. And indeed, if you get confrontational, people get defensive, people get angry, it may be counterproductive. But you can say to a person, okay, I get you really want the information out of this person, but hey, instead of torture porn, can we just get like an interrogation role, you know, or, or can we try, or, or hey, hey, you know, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but put the pliers away. Let me try a persuasion <laughs> check first, you know, or let's see if there's some way we can bribe this person or I don't know what, but you find some way to, to diffuse that in game or at the meta game and just say, Hey, I get what you're trying to accomplish, but I mean, is that really the sort of game we want to do? 
I got a better idea, you know, or I've got a different idea. I don't feel comfortable with where we're going. Yeah. yeah, It's not something to argue. It's not something against you. Like we hit a point where I don't feel comfortable torturing this guy. You know, can we either find a different way or handle it off screen or whatever? But yeah, I think, I think it's, I always joke. I say we wouldn't have shows like this if people knew how to talk to each other. No, unfortunately that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Probably is true. But the, that I statement thing, I love what you said earlier when you were talking about um, when you're not gaming with your friends and you have people at a conventions or something, when you talked about these are guests at my table. And I think that that's a really good way when you're looking at GM responsibility. You think about it, if you have guests at your house, if you have guests at your house and one guy's getting drunk and ruining it for everybody, it's your job to either, you know, send him home, lie him yeah. down or grab their wife and tell her to get him out of here. Sure. You know what yeah. I mean? That's part of the role of being a host. And I think that's a really good place for when the GM should step in if a player hasn't already because the player should feel empowered to be able to say i don't want to do whatever it is we're sure. doing right now yeah and if we've got a friend who otherwise is a decent person but they get belligerent when they're drinking it'd be a poor uh move on my part as the host to have a bottle of jack sitting at their spot in the table yeah, if you have someone you know who likes to go straight to torture, may, maybe they don't find living witnesses. Maybe they only find parchment scrolls <laughs> and clues leading to the next location. Sure, it's yeah. like you can't torture a vending machine. Like, come on, <laughs> you know, there, there's something here that, and I realize this is going to come more easily to some people than others, because uh, sympathy and empathy, your ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes to varying degrees, there is some evidence it's actually neurological and basis and not everyone's equally good at it. But I think a great uh, uh, idiomatic way of looking at it, uh, Jenna just threw out as well that uh, uh, it's enough to know something is hellish without making it hell for a player. And I, I think that is some great perspective that I don't have to know a whole lot about what's going on with the group to know that a graphic scene of rape or torture or something like that is likely going to upset somebody because it's a disturbing thing, you know, which is why I have found, I I know there's an old saying of it's better to ask forgiveness and permission, but with things like this, flip that script. Ask permission. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I've done this even recently in my own games. There was a scene where, uh, actually a character played by Eric was going to talk to his uh, wife who had been her, his own background write up had been captured by some unbelievably horrible people. And I said, and he was like, I want to go talk to her. And I said, okay, I can tell you in the abstract what she says, but if you want me to role play this out, it's going to get very graphic. You know what she's going to tell you the way she's going to act it is the only time that I can remember having ever screamed at a role-playing table. And the unanimous vote of the players there was, we want to see it played out. <laughs> but I didn't do that until I first had their permission to do it. And I warned them, this is going to get really messed up. And if you want that story, great, we'll do it. But this is your chance to punch out. You know, I'm asking your permission of where, yeah. you know, where do you want this to go? Because I, I think that, you know, what you just touched on, Tian, is, I mean, that can be the, I don't mean always in the darkest aspects of it, but I mean, that can be the most beautiful part of role-playing. Like, if you are one of the people who is really into the RP side of it, is that, like, that we can get beyond the script of, like, the multiple choice responses, right? We can, we can 
follow our emotions or think in our characters like history and then pull it out and then throw it on the table. And for some people, you know, the acting itself is what they enjoy. But yeah, I mean, like that we can go there. Yeah, you know, we can. We can't have a a screaming match with two players via their characters, and then afterwards high five. You know, cut to break and go. You know, grab a soda together, and it's no big deal. But so it's important that those options are at least to me. I think those options should always be left available, right? But I mean, especially when we do twist that with dark themes, that's when we get into areas where you're like, well, I mean, I guess even if you can have a shouting match, right? Like. It's about communication of like, hey, is this cool? Can we do this? Um, have you ever have you ever done that as a player? I've done that, or I've been like in the middle of something and then I like just stop and I'm like, I just need in character, and they're like, you know, you know, in character. Okay, well, let's go back into it and just do the constant check-ins. I've really only ever done that as a player uh, with my friends, you know, with people that like I have a good relationship with, um, or with other people who started with me. And like, maybe I don't know if they checked in or if they did, they, if they did or they didn't, but then that kind of tells me like, oh, cool, we're going there. That's cool. But then I usually, I will check in with them to just make sure I wasn't just, you know, an idiot, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you raised your voice. So I thought we were getting to this element and, you know, I'm screaming at them or something. Um, one <laughs> of my favorite, trying to play a game, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite uh, moments that I, I, we, because we started with dread was the first time I think I got to play dread was at origins game fair. And uh, it was a Wednesday night and we played this game and this player, his name's Ben. And it was funny because afterwards uh, I saw him sitting, you know, in an area and I was like, I'm still mad at you as a player because of your character, because I don't know you, but Ben, I appreciate you because you gave me that level of emotion. <laughs> and I apologize that if I see you again, I hope that I'm always super nice to you because you know, I have no firm reference. <laughs> I literally played a convention game. And his character was such an asshole. And he just really <laughs> dug it in with all of us. And, you know, it was like there's element levels where I was like, man, you're just treating my character like an a-hole. And you're reminding me of all these people that I can't stand. But then I had to also watch you do that to other characters that were important to my character in this one shot. So afterwards, I was like, you know, high five. But it's so weird that I'm still mad at you as a person. And it's, you know, because we're human beings. So it's worth noting that as well, right? That know that yeah. that can happen. Yeah, and this rolls into something that Dusty Vansity asked, which is, okay, how do you handle dark themes like these when you've had the players in a session zero and they say they're okay with a certain level of darkness or certain themes, but they change their mind mid-game. You know, for example, uh, maybe they thought they were okay with something, but when they actually went to do it, they're not. Or maybe they did not expect the degree to which you would do it you know they didn't understand how that was going to play out you know they thought let's use racism example that the racism was going to be you know at a level of we don't serve your kind here not a level of you know racial epithets being screamed at you well whatever i'm not to get too graphic here but you, you get my point mm -hmm. you know either they didn't understand their own reaction to it or they didn't understand precisely where you were going to go with that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think a lot of this comes down to the game master has to set an example, though the players have to participate in this example, of being conscientious of each other, of, you know, paying attention to the expression on the other people's faces, listening to the cues that they give, uh, being prepared to say, you know, okay, we thought this was going to work and it didn't, you know, 
it's like a surgery. When a surgery is botched, you don't keep pushing ahead with what isn't working. <laughs> You'll kill the patient. And yeah. I don't think the answer of stomping your feet and saying, well, you agreed to this is the right way to <laughs> go. Yeah. I, I mean, cause well, and I'm going to talk about why I think that is specifically. Um, but before I do, um, I want to give you guys a uh, uh, moment to respond to that because I'm about to throw two big bombs here. <laughs> oh, I was actually going to say even before that, that you need that conversation that I was was talking about earlier about safety tools. Um, if you don't have anything in place for your players to tell you that they're feeling uncomfortable or things went darker than they thought, then by the time you're told that that is what's happening, I guarantee you at least one person at your table has felt uncomfortable for a lot longer than you think they have. Uh, yeah. so whatever, no, I agree. Using, I agree. if you're using the X card or not, um, I, I tend to use check-ins a lot. Like I'm a, I'm a big fan of check-ins. If I feel like I'm getting close to an area and I've, and 90% of the time I go, you know, like the game I'm running right now, we said no violence to children on screen. And so they found a girl who had been in slavery and she had her leg busted and they were able to heal it. But, you know, when we got done with that scene, I was like, hey, guys, this was one of our rules. This came on screen a little bit, not the actual act. I just wanted to see how everyone's doing. And hopefully if you're checking in enough, 90% of the time, they're like, what do you know? Yeah, that was fine. We didn't even think about it. Um, but if you don't have something in place by the time, like Dan was saying, like, by the time someone's bringing it to you like that, then, then it is done. Like you, you, you don't even realize how long you've made someone uncomfortable if, if they didn't have a way to talk to you about it. Well, and that's one of the things, and this is uh, one of the first more controversial things I'm going to get into here, is one of the things that I think you need to think through, whether it's in a session zero or if this is a con game and you don't have a session zero because you've got three hours, you know, you can talk about in the, or think through in the first three to five minutes, is not just what boundaries are we going to observe, but if something comes up on the fly that someone either didn't think would be in the game and so they never mentioned it, or maybe they were okay with it until they saw how it played out, whatever the case is, but there's something that happens on the fly that distresses somebody, do you have a mechanism in place for them to express that discomfort on the fly? Um, especially given the fact that when someone is really in the midst of that discomfort, they're probably mentally not firing on all cylinders anyway. You know, you freak somebody out, they don't have the best, most rational response to begin with. You know, and, and in a group of friends, that may be nothing too exciting. That may be just you reassuring them of saying, hey, if I'm doing something that's freaking you out, just pause the game, tell me what it is, we'll course correct and not do that. Um, there's... They, I keep getting myself in trouble with my opinion on the X card, but hey, why stop now? Um, the X card, for anyone who's not familiar with it, I'll explain what it is. Uh, the X card is an idea that you put a piece of paper or an index card or something in the middle of your gaming table that just has an X on it. And if at any point someone is distressed you know, by a, a theme in the game or something that's been said, they can reach out with a finger or pencil and they touch that X card and you stop whatever was in motion. You know, they don't have to explain to you and they don't owe you an explanation of why it's disturbing them. 
but you pause there and you know you observe that expression of distress because as i said someone who's in the midst of that distress may not be really even in a good position to explain why it's distressing them or what the boundaries are or something uh that said i'm not personally a big fan of the x card and the reason that i'm not is i think it is useful only in so far as it communicates pause i'm upset but it doesn't communicate anything more and in a lot of games that i've been in there is so much going on at once you know you walk into a room and somebody's killing an orc and while that's going on two party members say something nasty about the orc and two of the players are having an out of character tiff about something stupid or cracking a joke that's kind of inappropriate and and somebody taps that x card it's like okay time out i know something's bugging you but i have no idea what i mean if this isn't use this isn't actionable information i can pause but if you've got to tell me something, you know, you, you cannot begin and end your communication at the X card. Um, you know, I, I need some more information than that. And so I'm not against the X card, but I think people overestimate its value. Gage, you're, you're silenced. I'm hearing nothing. So he's, he's shaken. I've been burping so much. (laughs) I'm hitting myself. Um, I think you need practice, a four and a raise to speak right now. Uh, you don't need a raise anymore. Haven't for like four and a half years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think in practice, it it's not quite as mercurial. While the potential is there to not know, I think most of the time it's it's pretty obvious. Um, and I think it's about what you're prioritizing. Um, gosh, who was it? It was one of the. I, I mean, Eric, you're listening to all this. I think it was one of the trench monkeys uh, when they were talking about playing in character and someone says, that's just something my character would do. You're prioritizing your imaginary friend over your real friend at the table. Yes. I and agree with that. I, I think that that's kind of the same thing though. It's like, well, I have all of this stuff going on in this make-believe world we're playing in. Not like I have a podcast dedicated to role-playing games. I am an avid lover of this hobby, but at the end of the day, that real person at the table is signaling to you that something is messed up. And so if I have to drop the whole game and, and pull out the My Little Pony RPG, like I, unless it was horses and then I'm screwed because I just triggered them again. <laughs> but I don't care because that's what I prioritize. That being said, I think there are other tools that you can use as well that might let you know a little more. Uh, the X card is really kind of the, you know, it's the emergency valve. Like you're at the sure. table and we need something to change right now. Uh, yeah. I prefer it, it's like a siren. When I'm driving down the road and I hear a siren, I know to check my rearview mirror, to check my surroundings, to see what's going on. But until I see the source of that siren, the direction of the vehicle, the type of vehicle, et cetera, et cetera, it's not actionable information to me. And there, there's, a, there, there's a conversation going in chat right now where I, I want to hedge some things I said very carefully to make sure that, that what I'm saying is is uh, both being understood and communicated correctly. I do not think people owe you an explanation of why something is upsetting to them. Um, I don't think one people owe you that in general. And two, even if they do, I don't think the gaming table is the place to unpack that. But hundred um, percent. But I do think they owe you an explanation of what, 
you know, because for all I know, it took you 10 minutes to work up the, the nerve to even touch the X card. And maybe the offending statements come and gone. I don't need you to explain to me why. But if you say to me, people in blue shirts are profoundly traumatizing to me. Okay. I mean, it's a little weird, but I don't need you to defend that. Yeah. But if there's a hundred things going on and you just tap the X card, I can pause the game and say what's wrong. But I do think you, as the offended party, at least owe me the answer of what. Because I can't help you if I don't know what. You know, there's, it's, let's go back to the traffic example. There's a big difference between an ambulance going the opposite direction on the interstate and a cop trying to pull me over. I mean, these require very different responses. And I would say the same thing's true at the table. I have to know at least what upsets you. Otherwise, I can't help you. And I want to help you. You know, whether I'm, I'm your friend or I'm just a fellow con-goer, you know, I care more about you as a person than I do, to borrow your phrase, my imaginary friend. <laughs> but I, I at least need to know what the landmine was. And that's, I think, the weakness of the X card, is that some people see it not just as the beginning of a conversation, but the end of one. Now, I don't think it's the beginning of a debate, but I do think it has to be the beginning of a flow of information. Yeah, and you know, just chime in on that. I, like, as I, I totally agree with Dan. Um, most of the time, it doesn't, you know, right? Like when you get an X card, it's not like somebody usually gives you the the complete, un, you know, like unadulterated rules of it or something. Um, though they kind of exist. Um, they do. But, <laughs> but the the X card, you know, I mean, largely that line does come up a lot. Of like, you don't have to explain it to me. Um, but I, I, it's weird because like there's two things the X card does very well. Cause like Dan said, it's not like the greatest tool in the world. It, it just does a couple things really well is, you know, by having an X card on the table, it begs the question like, what the hell is that? And if you don't, if you haven't already explained what it is, it opens that conversation at the beginning of the table or the session, like of, Hey, there's an X card because I care about your safety and everyone else should. So it's like the session zero, right? Like it, it sets the stage and sets expectations where it, it kind of, begs the question to create the conversation so that later on when it's one hour in someone goes, Oh, you know, we're heading into territory where like we said, you know, like put the pliers away. Like they already feel maybe a little more comfortable because they, we already had talked about it. We said from the get go, like your, your safety and your comfortability is more important than your imaginary friend. <laughs> so um, like, that's a beautiful thing it does. And the second thing is that when I, especially when I think of most of the safety tools, they're mostly imaginary. Uh, you know, they're things we talk about. So it's a physical, it's an artifact. It's a, it's a thing on a table, just like having the book. Um, so usually having something right in the middle of the table, um, again, brings, brings it up. People remember it in the middle. They go, what's that thing? Oh, I don't want to interrupt people to find out what the thing is I'm supposed to say. You know, like they just pointed the card. Yeah, I had so that I happen mean, in a game with my wife. So people, <laughs> I was sure, people yeah. will say like, well, I know the people I game with. My wife, after the yeah. game, looked at me and goes, what's that thing that we're, because we play online now. She's yeah. like, what's that thing? There's like a card. I'm like, oh, the X card. She's like, yeah, yeah I wish I had known that. Yeah. So, I mean, ideally, right, tabletop, you would have a table and you'd have the card. So yeah. um, I, that that's the beauty of it, right, is that it sets that conversation because people forget lines and veils or safety breaks or, you know, hand sure. gestures or, and the support flower is something that in, inherently has more steps to it. Um, but like Dan said, it, it is ineffective if, if you don't find the reason 
as an ongoing thing. But I also find like 80, 90 percent of the time, if it's not obvious, they do tell me, you know, it, but it doesn't come up that often. Um, with how many games I've had a you know X card on, it almost never gets brought up. And my new game I'm playtesting, it's funny because it's supposed to, <laughs> you know, you play deadbeat roommates, and it's all about <laughs> like riling you up and getting you really mad and angsty against each other. So like that always happens, and it's never been used. So yeah, and I think just common sense in terms of the themes you introduce, especially with a group of strangers, yeah. can get you around a lot of that. But like you said, when it comes to like, if someone reaches for it and then we don't know, and it's a complicated situation. And like you said, uh, by the time someone goes to use it, what were they reflecting? You know, what was the point that was bothering them? Yeah. That's... Do you think that having safety tools, like what it, whether it's lines and veils, or I've used the stoplight before yeah, um, or the X card, do you think that that helps enable players to feel more comfortable going deeper you know, like a climbing harness. If you have, if you have a harness on and you have a, a safety rope, you might climb higher than you would just free climbing. Like, do you think that empowers players to go to some of these darker places? I mean, I say yes, I, but it's hypothetically because I can't speak, you know, for other people in that situation, but I can't mm -hmm. see how it wouldn't, right? Like for me and for most people that I feel go there, they would go there anyway. But like, obviously, if there's people that have reasons why they would hold back, that's exactly what it would do is right. It would tell them like, no, it's cool. Run, run, baby, run. <laughs> you know, even if it doesn't encourage them to go deeper, I think if nothing else, it, it's not going to hurt. And indeed it's probably going to help the level of enjoyment because a role-playing game is an exercise in group storytelling. And the way you win a role-playing game is everyone at the table had fun. The way you lose a role-playing game is people at the table didn't have fun. And whether it's an X card, whether it's a session zero, whether it's even just the GM before a game saying, hey, I want you guys to know that your comfort is important to me. You know, you have sent a message that that, that part of the experience matters. You know, you're not... I mean, it's like getting on a roller coaster, you know, whether it's because they care or because they're required to buy liability insurance, the safety harnesses send the message that they at least gave half a shit about whether I survive the next five minutes. Yeah. And that does change my entire interpretation of that series of events. You know, if a roller coaster kicks out a station and there's no safety belt, even in the car, Oh, you better believe I'm having a very different experience over the next five <laughs> minutes. You Where's know, even if I survive, I'm not having fun. Oh, <laughs> uh, and let's myself. talk about lines and veils because, oh, oh, Eric's got one for us. Oh, okay. Yeah, Young One Two says, as, uh, have you as a GM ever started down a horror path or any path for that matter and have gotten freaked out by yourself or maybe by your players? Yes. <laughs> Short answer is yes. Yeah, me too. Some of my uh, most favorite uh, favorite moments, right? Because like they, the stuff that really gets under your skin is the stuff you don't forget anytime soon. I don't know that I have, but that's because, and I don't want to get too much into my life story here or whatever. But one, I have seen a lot of really dark things in my life, and two, and I think I inherited this from my mom. I'm really stoic about very dark stuff. So I've certainly had some surprises, but I don't know that any of them have ever offended me or bothered me. I mean, I, I don't know. I may think they're distasteful, 
But even then, it's more like I'm worried about how the rest of the people at the table are going to see this. Not that it bothered me. Um, but I accept that's me. I mean, I, I don't expect other people. I mean, that's empathy. You know, I don't expect other people to feel the same way I do. They've had different experiences. They have different psyches, and that's fine. I don't know if I hit it from the same angle. Like the thing that I, I always think about was one night where we had like an overnighter when I was, I don't know, 15 or something. And there was three of us and we were playing Shadowrun. And there was, you know, a part of the city that was dark. Nobody was out. There was a pier with a weird, strange character at the end. You know, there was like bats and a graveyard and a character that had a nightmare and then saw the person. And there was a TV that had static. You know, it was just all of the feels. And the three of us were like in a basement. It was, you know, a nice basement, basement furnished and like carpeted and stuff. But like, we just found moments where we we're like sitting at each other and we were just freaking each other out with just all of the imagery, the setting, right? We're all just kind of sitting there like thinking about weird noises that are outside and that it's like 4 a.m. and, you know, and like again, 15. So, uh, you know, every, we were a little more easily startled than now where you're like, okay, I know what everything is if it's making noises in the middle of the night. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean- you know, where we, we took breaks, we took, we took little breaks and I, I smoked at the time. So there was cigarette breaks that we were just like, all right, we're all kind of creeped out. We're going to go huddle together outside the front door and talk about other stuff for five minutes and then try to go back to this. Well, and there's a concept that several people have mentioned. I'm going to quote it from young one from earlier in the converse in the chat uh, stream, but several people brought up this concept of lines and veils uh, as a way of, of handling these themes and uh, he put it really well of you don't cross the lines and you hide things behind veils. And so there are certain things in the game that just don't get dealt with at all. There are other things where you understand it happened if you're paying attention, but it's never on screen. It's never discussed. Um, I th one of the examples that comes to mind uh, is... Uh, what was the most recent Mad Max movie? Was it Thunder Road? Uh, the one with Tom Hardy? Fury Road. Fury Road, not Thunder Road. I just made that up. Fury Road. Um, <laughs> I think Thunderdome and Fury Road or something. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, Fury Road. Emerton Joe, who's the main bad guy, who's the kind of older guy with the respirator on him. Um, the women that... Uh, who, who played... Uh, Furioso, was that Charlize Theron? Charlize yep. Theron. Yeah, okay. So the, the, the woman that Charlize Theron was trying to help escape. I don't think anyone who's paying attention to that movie didn't get what was happening to those women, why they needed rescuing, mm -hmm. right? That's a veil. If you're paying attention and you know what Mad Max is about and you're reading the subtext there, you know what those women either have or will soon experience. But it's never discussed in detail, and it's certainly never shown. It's hidden behind a veil. The audience is aware of it if you're watching, you know, carefully. But it's not, it's, it's all off screen, right? It's implication, it's innuendo. But then there are lines that are never crossed. You know, for example, even though this is a society that is in horrible resource shortage, you never see them take somebody's kid, cut it up, and roast it. I mean, it's not implied, it's not shown, it's not on screen, it's not off screen. It's a line that's never crossed at all. You know, it's, it's just, if this isn't John Wick, you don't kill the dog. It's one of those kinds <laughs> of things, you know. 
Um, but there was that's an example of lines and veils. And you can apply this in a role-playing game. There are certain things we're just not going to do, period. There are other things that you can understand are happening in the background or we're going to reduce to an abstracted role, but that's as far as we're going to go with it. I also like to do uh, fade to black, which is yeah. basically veils, but it's in-game, which is that all of a sudden you have the guy and, you know, the guy who's going to be the tortury torture mixin uh, goes, uh, you know, pulls out his knife and someone can else go and fade to black. And that means we know it happened. The torture happened. We can cut back to that guy cleaning his knife. It definitely happened, but we're not spending any more time on it. And we're just going to keep going. Another big one, sex, you know, I mean, obviously yep. <laughs> that conversation isn't something we most often want to talk about at the table, especially between two people amongst a group of people watching, you know, it just kind of uh, is generally a fade to black, like seduction, you know, but these things happen, right? Like romance is when romance gets to the sure. point where like the die roll resolved it. We know where it's going. Cool. Fade to black. <laughs> Fast forward. I, pl- uh, you know, I there's anyone who listens to our show knows there's, there was a D&D game where I played a null. There was a one-year jump in the game. At the other side of the one-year jump, he had a mate and a litter of pups. There was no graphic explanation or die rolls or whatever yeah. about a great big furry yif. You that's, know, that's on your computer. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, now all the fanfic and whatever about it, you know, and that what, that that's under my pseudonym on uh, Literotica, <laughs> but <laughs> it wasn't covered in game, you know. Um, <laughs> This is a good one. That, that, I'm getting the response of gross in chat, and that is the correct <laughs> response. Um, so do you guys have anything else? Because if not, I'm going to go on a semantic diatribe. You know, one semantic. of the things I wanted is I always think like, Gage, it sounded like this was a topic that was something that came out of, uh, you know, inside of that mind of yours. Did we touch everything? Like, was oh, I think the so. topic pretty fully developed or was there still a lingering question? It wasn't my idea. It was Eric's idea. I would have just talked about why Savage Worlds is better than whatever you're playing and how Dan is wrong. And <laughs> it would have that's it'd be a short show. Topics. Eric needed an hour. Yeah, it would be Dan, a short you, uh, show. You know, Dan, you're wrong about shake everything. Shake engage again, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, that pretty much, there was just stuff I had because it was, it was, I'm, first of all, I'm used to hosting, but second of all, uh, having someone who is a firm component of Session Zero and then having someone else who plays for strangers all the time, I yeah. feel like you guys were going to approach it from two different ways. and It was super interesting. And I don't run a lot of those kinds of games. So sure. like, I mean, the other day we had uh, one of our characters who's like playing a 16 year old girl and the 20 year old skinny guy were at a sailor bar. And I started getting uncomfortable just by saying like, they're looking at you know the guy like they're going to beat the crap out of you and they're looking at the girl like they're she's you you should probably leave and like that's about as far as i go in my games and then if the players don't get there then i actually will just cut and i'll say hey we're starting to approach something that makes me feel uncomfortable so figure out how you want this to resolve (laughs) and we'll just fade to that i feel like just if i could throw one piece in before we go back to dan was that um you know this did make me think of um I wasn't there for this game session I heard of, but there was a time where I was going to, well, like a Wednesday D&D at a local game store. Um, And I was going to it, you know, also finding new players, finding people, seeing what people are gaming at game stores. And uh, one of those groups, you know, was kind of like keeping in touch, like, hey, Pete, you coming this Wednesday or whatever. And they unfortunately told me the story eventually about how um, there was a black guy who came and a black guy came and the group, of course, like we were talking about kind of before the show, 
you know, suburbs, right. Of, I live pretty about 40 miles from Chicago. So uh, we're kind of considered the suburbs, but um, black guy came played D and D awesome, right. Should not be a thing, but unfortunately it was a thing. That's why I'm bringing this up was that one of the players was very patronizing and didn't mean to be insulting, but was very awkward. Therefore that person never came back because the person, kind of made it a thing, right? Was like, kind of like, oh, how'd you find this? Yeah, well, we never, we don't really get people like you here. And <laughs> like, so wow. I only bring this up because <laughs> ethics and dark themes sometimes oh. can go beyond the actual play, right? Like yeah, that would have been something where the game master or some other player probably who the plays with this person should have been like, hey man, can we go talk for a second? Or like, you know, pull them aside or like, hey GM, can we, can we have a break? If not the GM, right? Like somebody should have just been like, hey, you know, like obviously I get it. You're trying to be cool, but you're actually making this worse. <laughs> and like, that's important too, right? That we we make it a safe Yeah, space. okay. Let's go to the opposite <laughs> extreme here. There are certain things that don't need to be discussed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I cannot specifically remember the first time that I gamed with a person of color. Yeah. Um, I can remember the first time that I gamed with a person who was trans, because uh, it wasn't all that long ago. Yeah. And you know what was said about the topic? Fucking nothing. Yeah. It, it was really that simple. It's like, God forbid, game with this person like they're a person. And <laughs> maybe there's some things that don't need to be discussed. Uh, yeah. But what do you do when one person doesn't, have that programming right because that that's clearly what happened here was in that session you know i wasn't there but you know five or six other players were and nobody did anything so that individual unfortunately just didn't come back that's the uh, somebody call 911 thing again i think this is something that's finally front and center also about women in gaming yeah uh, who have been in very uncomfortable situations over and over and over again we're just now actually talking about it um i personally i i don't think that my view on a GM's responsibility is necessarily the most popular. I think as a GM, I take a lot of that on myself. And I think that if you're running the game, it's your fucking job. But I know that not everyone agrees with me on that. Um, but in those situations, especially the one you're talking about, it doesn't sound, regardless of what's going on on the inside, that might be wrong. It doesn't sound like they're trying to be hostile. And that is when you, uh, you grab that person and you take them to the side and you say, I see what you're doing. Don't do that. Yeah. yeah, it's called Hanlon's razor. It's it's it, Occam's razor is the more popular one of you know the simplest answer is usually the correct one, which is actually not what Occam's razor says, but it's how it's generally understood. But Hanlon's razor is never a tribute to malice, something that can be explained by stupidity. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I mean it is wholly possible that someone what in their patronizing behavior was actually trying to be nice. But I, I, I don't know. I guess at best I would chalk that up as this is a learning experience. We probably need to pull this person aside and say, you do understand that this is a regular human being just like you. <laughs> there may be some uh, superficial differences between you and them. But yeah, th- this, this is not some taxonomically different creature that has just randomly wandered into our people game. (laughs) Um, 
it, it's so, so stupid it's funny like it's just so unfortunate it, uh yeah it is it is but you know and once again i mean i i think it is it is fair to look at the motivations of a person and not just the behavior but that doesn't mean the behavior doesn't need to be addressed yeah um and so i certainly would have that talk with that person and to gage's point i don't think a gm bears sole responsibility yeah. but if nobody else will do it there's one thing i know eric we're over time but tough um there's one thing I want to hit on at least before we close this out, sure. um, which is there is something that was put in the phrasing of this topic that I, th I think is important to talk about, which is uh, Eric phrased this as how do you handle dark themes in an ethical manner? And th the word I want to actually get pedantic over here is ethical because there's a difference between ethics and morality ethics and you can divide this 10 ways to Sunday, but generally speaking, ethics represents a, your conformity to a broader set of standards or rules, okay? Think of it like a social contract. Morality deals with an internal compass of right and wrong, all right? So typically speaking, uh, let me give a really oversimplified answer or explanation of this. You know, religion might give you a sense of morality but how you behave in the workplace is probably a sense of ethics. And that's not entirely true. I'm oversimplifying. Uh, let me give a, perhaps a more specific example. Let's say an individual comes to me and says they need a new roof on their house. And let's just pretend I own a roofing company. And I look at that person and say, well, based on the fair market value of this job, uh, here's what a new roof would cost on your house. And I give them that contract and they pay me that amount and we do an honest job. This is ethical, okay? But let's add on the factor of what I have known this whole time is that this person is impoverished and I'm about to buy my second yacht. Now, the deal is still ethical because it still conforms to these, the, the strictures of society and what we accept as reasonable and legal but I think most people at this point would become uncomfortable, but that's because it's immoral. Um, there, there's a moral wrongness to me as someone who has much asking even a fair market price from someone who has nothing. Um, and something I, I, I want to talk about here is we have discussed at length the ethics of doing this. How do you create a fair a safe, a reasonable environment for everyone that lives up to their expectations. And I think that's a great thing to talk about, but I can't leave this topic without emphasizing that for me, the only reason I even care about the ethics is because of a moral presupposition, which is that the people at the table are people who have a value that is, you know, similar to mine for, I don't want to dig into the reason why I believe that, because that's wildly off topic. But I believe that these are people who have feelings like mine and value like mine, and I care about how they feel. And as a result, I'm going to seek out ethical structures by which we can come to a common agreement on what is fair in the course of this game. That because I care about you as a friend, as a guest, as whatever it is, as a person, that I am going to fall back on social conventions, whether that's open discussion, whether that's the X card, whatever it may be, to facilitate that moral understanding. But if you're the sort of person, and let's be honest, we've probably gamed with these people 
who doesn't have that underlying moral compunction, you know, they want their game their way and they don't care how it impacts you. Wargaming in particular is going through a huge upheaval with this right now. You want to see this writ large, go look at a 40K forum. And, you know, it's a big thing because they don't have that moral underpinning that takes them to the point of even seeing the relevance of an ethical structure for conducting these games. And so I don't want to be pedantic, but I think in this case it matters to, to understand that ethics has to be at the tail end of morality. I agree, but I had to put a joke in the chat. <laughs> I, I did, and I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so we're uh, we're over time. So how about uh, starting with Pete? Uh, let everybody, let uh, the viewers know where they can find you. Okay. Um, so the big thing uh, I mentioned this last time, but uh, if you go to obviously you can go to at Ben Branner uh, for me on Twitter. You can go to Imagining Games uh, on Facebook. Uh, there's also the ImaginingGames.com page if you want to find any of my other social handles or such. Um, but the Indian Game Developer Network uh, has mostly shored up our volunteer GMs for Gen Con. Uh, if you still would like a free uh, GM badge, which is like $120 plus value for the four days, um, we do have a few games that still could use a Game Master or two. Um, you just have to run eight hours of events, uh, 12 hours if it's some combination of helping us staff our game room, which last year was like the fourth largest game room. So it's a pretty cool place to be. Um, it's all indie RPGs. It's a variety. There's like 30 plus games on our list. There's probably about four to six of them that are still looking for a, a GM to help share them with awesome people. But if you, you could direct message me, you could find me at any of those social links. If you hit me up, I can give you the volunteer sheet and tell you more information. So if you're interested, it's a pretty good deal. Good gauge. Uh, yeah. You can find me uh, on my podcast gaming with gauge. If you Google it, it should come up. Uh, aside from that, the easiest place to get in touch with me, if you actually want to talk with me is discord and you can find me either in my own discord or I'm in the gamers table discord. They just haven't kicked me out yet. <laughs> yeah i was chad stole my title i back i was the one that backed the kickstarter and then chad took my title uh <laughs> but you can find all the stuff that we do we have a uh, general role playing advice show fear the boot like be afraid of a shoe fear the boot.com uh you can find our actual play which eric and brandon from gamers table are on at ap.feartheboot.com uh, and also from feartheboot.com, we have a link to all the places you can find us, our Facebook group, our Discord channel, uh, you know, uh, SoundCloud, Pandora, all the wild places we've somehow ended up, like the sewage, seeping sewage that we are from the wounds of Grandfather Nurgle. <laughs> uh, so you can find all that at feartheboot.com. All right. Well, thank you, Pete, Gage, and Dan for hosting this week. Um, thank you, Jeanne Sasquatch, uh, <laughs> Dusty Van City, and Young One Two for the wonderful, wonderful chat questions. Uh, thank you all for watching. Uh, next week's hosts are Gavin, Chad, and Nick. Uh, remember, Big Twenty streams live every Sunday at 9 p.m. Central on Twitch.tv.gamerstable. Have a good night, everybody. See ya. Bye bye. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.